Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. God is so kind to minister to us through the power of His Holy Spirit when we gather together. And the sense of God being present in the impressions, the prophetic words that were shared, uh, the singing that we have enjoyed, our praying together. Friends, God is here with us, and He intends to continue to minister to us through the preaching of His Word. We have been preaching through the book of 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 5. We looked at the first five verses of this chapter already, but I want to pause on one particular verse and consider it further in that section, given the timeliness of this theme. And it is the command in verse 3 that pastors or elders not domineer over those in their charge. In the broader culture, there has in recent years been considerable, considerable emphasis placed upon uh, questions of authority, power, abuse. And in the church of Christ, this includes the issues of pastors and power, uh, spiritual authority, spiritual abuse, bully pastors, and more. I'm grateful for the attention culturally that is being given to this theme, and I carry a desire that we as a church consider it biblically. Uh, the command of this verse is a timely one because sad accounts of abusive pastors are all too common. I'm sure that a good number of you, like me, have experienced in the kindness of God good and healthy spiritual authority in your life. It is the, the grace and mercy of God to me that all I have ever been on the receiving end of in the church and in the home throughout my entire life is healthy authority that serves and leads by example. And for that, I am so grateful. And wherever we have experienced that, we ought to thank God for it. But I am sure there are also a good number of you who have had bad experiences with those in positions of authority. Leadership that was in one way or another domineering or damaging in some way. And I pray that speaking to this issue ministers to you and highlights the importance of godly leadership. Uh, perhaps others of you have heard high-profile stories of toxic leadership in other churches, tragic stories of arrogant pastors with quick tempers who lead staff in a domineering manner, uh, pastors and priests who have mistreated women and children and failed to protect the vulnerable, uh, leaders who misuse funds and this sort of thing. You, perhaps you've heard these stories and you wonder how leaders and churches can avoid those abuses of authority. It is a good thing to consider together. And the command here applies not only to pastors, but is relevant for all who are in roles of leadership and authority. Husbands and parents, teachers and coaches, bosses and supervisors find relevance and application in this command. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 
Although we're focusing on verse 3, we will read these first five verses. This is God's holy and authoritative word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May God bless the preaching of his word. Timothy Laniac is a Bible scholar and an author who has spent a considerable amount of time studying the shepherding imagery of Scripture. And his study has included traveling to the Middle East to observe the work of shepherds to gain insight into this biblical metaphor and image. Dr. Laniac tells the following story. He says, a tour guide in Israel was once describing the distinctive form of leadership exhibited by shepherds in the Middle East. He said, with just a simple call or whistle, their obedient flocks fall in behind them. However, most of the people on the bus were watching a very different scene on the nearby hillside with muffled amusement. A man was chasing a small herd of sheep and goats from behind, yelling at them and throwing rocks. The guide was so perturbed that he stopped the bus and told the man how unbefitting his behavior was as a shepherd and how he had just turned his lecture into a joke. The bewildered man explained that he wasn't a shepherd, he was a butcher. <laughs> and Laniac goes on to explain that that story, in fact, could perpetuate the false idea that all shepherds are kind and lead simply by gentle words. Unfortunately, he says this isn't true and shares that he has seen shepherds who mistreat the sheep in similar ways, hitting them, driving their terrorized flocks from behind. And he says that's because not all shepherds are good shepherds. And he says, it's easy to become an abusive shepherd. In the same way, shepherds in the church will experience the temptation to use their authority wrongly. It is no surprise that this category is one of the three contrasts in verses two and three. Pastors are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then third, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
Pastors are not to be domineering. And this command is aimed at one of the primary pitfalls of leadership in the church, which is the misuse and abuse of power. Peter is recognizing the very real tendency and temptation to use a position of authority to serve ourselves and to mistreat others. To domineer means you get things done by by force. The force of command, the force of personality, the force of intimidation or threat. It is the world's approach to leadership. And God wants his church to understand that the pastor is not a CEO or a military general. In the flock of God, under shepherds are not to boss others around. They must never be overbearing or controlling. Rather, they are to serve others and set an example. Leading without lording. What is needed is a theology of leadership that understands God's good design for authority as well as the ways that power is often misused and abused by bad leadership. And we need to understand how Christ in the gospel transforms power. I'm going to organize this under three points around the language of power, which in Scripture simply refers to the ability to influence others. First, the commendation of power. There are those who think that power always does damage and that authority is always bad. But from the beginning in the garden with Adam naming the animals and God's command to fill the earth and subdue it, telling man that he is to have dominion over the creatures, power is a good gift from God that is to be stewarded for his glory. Authority, whether in the family or in the church or in government, is part of God's good design. The Bible is clear that in the church, elders have authority, Power given by God to lead and to govern and to serve the church. And that church members are to submit to that authority. God would not give the command to not domineer over those in their charge if they had no authority. And in verse 2, we see clearly uh, this command for elders to shepherd and to, to oversee, to exercise oversight. They have been temporarily delegated authority to lead, to protect, and to serve the church. And the church members in verse 3 are referred to as those in your charge. Those they will give an account for. Those they are called to lead. Now in the realm of authority, there is a a continuum, there is a, a pendulum, and we tend to swing to unhelpful extremes. And so on the one hand, you can have people who reject authority and fail to appreciate its importance, and that is very much the spirit of the age. And then on the other hand, you can have those who misuse and abuse authority and lord it over others, and in its own way, that is also very much the spirit of the age. The concern that Peter addresses here is to avoid using power in, in a domineering way, but it's important that we not swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and 
fail to value authority in the home, in the church, and beyond. It is, it is a sad thing to me. Not just because I serve as a leader, but as a member of the church and as a Christian, it is a sad thing to me that so many in our day are suspicious of leadership and that some consider the exercise of authority in the church to be inherently abusive. In our day, what I've realized is simply to lead is to invite the critique that leaders are traumatizing and abusing others. The language of abuse itself has undergone this radical expansion by our culture to unhelpful places. And power is seen by many as fundamentally negative and harmful. There are many people who are far too quick to accuse pastors and spiritual leaders of, of spiritual abuse and domineering and authoritarian leadership. And that's part of the, the anti-authority spirit of the age. What we need is to recapture a sense of the gift of power, God's commendation of power. Andy Crouch has written an entire book on that theme called Plaguing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. He explains there's ways that we all have power and that this power is a gift that God intends to be used in beautiful and in sacrificial ways that contribute to the flourishing and the protection of others. One compelling example of the use of power for good is found among the men who were on the Titanic. Men made up 75% of the 2,240 passengers and crew, but they were only a small fraction of the 705 who survived. If it were Every person fending for themselves, the results certainly would have been much different. But hundreds of men courageously and sacrificially stood aside and gave women and children a place on the lifeboats. And as much as our culture derides gender distinctions, and even a growing number of Christians would say that gender should make no difference at all in a situation like that. They'd say it's all cultural, it's all stereotypes. Those who understand the biblical teaching see in that example the gift of power being used in a beautiful way. The commendation of power. We see second, the corruption of power. Our culture currently talks a lot. If you're paying attention, if you're listening, there is a lot of talk about power dynamics. There's a lot of talk about privilege and disadvantage, uh, how authority can be abused in relationships and in society. That's, those are themes that, that dominate the, the cultural conversation at this moment. Rather than dismiss these concepts entirely, I believe we need to recognize that too many Christians have given insufficient thought to the workings of power, and what, what is needed is to weigh cultural ideas with the authority and clarity of Scripture. Scripture presents power and authority as a gift, yet repeatedly testifies to the ways that power is misused and abused, that it is easily misused and abused. Herod at the time that Christ was born, Herod had the power to command that the babies in Bethlehem be killed. 
King David had the power to say, bring Bathsheba to me and put Uriah on the front lines. Abraham had the power to endanger his wife's purity when they went to Egypt. Tell them that you're my sister so I can be protected. Laban had the power to exploit Jacob. Potiphar's wife had the power to unjustly have Joseph imprisoned. Amnon used his power to seduce and violate his half-sister Tamar. And on and on. Friends, Scripture repeatedly recognizes the potential for power and authority to be misused. And that explains the commands of Scripture. This is why parents are commanded to not provoke their children to anger. Ephesians 6. And it's why spiritual leaders are commanded to not be domineering. D.A. Carson says that every minister of the gospel has power and that every form of power can be abused. The shepherding metaphor that we see in 1 Peter 5 is in fact frequently used in Scripture to speak directly and forcefully to this issue of the abuse of authority, and the corruption of spiritual power. We heard Ezekiel 34 read earlier where God rebukes the shepherds of Israel. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That's the prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord, rebuking the shepherds of the people of God. And we see something similar, remarkably similar, when Jesus speaks to the religious leaders of his day in Matthew chapter 23, which is, as a chapter, a case study in the abuse and misuse of spiritual leadership, which is where Jesus lays into the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, you impose heavy burdens on others. You, you create a culture of guilt. You seek to in, impress by doing things just so you can be seen by others. He says, you are self-serving. You are insisting that you have the best seats and the places of honor. You are leading by legalistic nitpicking regarding your own man-made rules and regulations. You've covered up your own inner corruption like whitewashed tombs. You have neglected what really matters to God, mercy and justice and love. You've loved money. You've sought worldly power. Woe to you, says our Lord. Your behavior and your teaching is an abuse of spiritual leadership. And Jesus detests it. And he says, you blind fools, you hypocrites, woe to you. Now, as a, as a pastor... In particular, in any area that I have had responsibility in life, I've wanted to think deeply about this. But as a pastor in particular, I have wanted to give thought to this category, and I believe every church member, every Christian, all to think deeply and reflect on this. What might this look like today? 
How, how can spiritual power and authority, if we are not careful and alert, be misused by church leaders? What is the direct relevance of 1 Peter 5, verse 3, to my life, to our relationships, to this church? What, what could it look like today? It could be harsh words, verbal intimidation, misleading communication, sarcasm, it could be leaders overemphasizing their authority. Be careful. If you're the husband who's always referencing your authority, it's not a healthy sign. Contributing to a culture that excessively elevates leaders, a culture of hyper-deference, a lack of healthy checks and balances and then being offended when they are requested, a failure to, to hold uh, fellow elders accountable, taking special privileges with finances, a lack of approachability among leaders, suppressing criticism or responding to constructive criticism with sinful defensiveness. How dare you challenge me? deflecting blame and being unwilling to admit wrong or confess sin, craving affirmation, demanding that people appreciate us, showing favoritism, insisting that others keep standards that we don't apply to ourselves, a, a control-oriented leadership that seeks to control areas of people's lives that are matters of Christian liberty, Failing to care for the vulnerable, failing to care for the mistreated, leading in a way that makes people feel beat, beaten down and overly scrutinized, and on and on. I think about it, and you know what my response is? Oh, God, help us. God, help me. It is no wonder that Peter gives this command. Pastors, in particular, must give attention. I need to give attention to this divine command. Not domineering over those in your charge, but setting an example. And it's not just Peter's burden, because Peter is drawing directly from the language and teaching of Jesus and our Lord's disdain for overbearing leadership. That word domineer is the same language Jesus used to warn his disciples when they weren't understanding power rightly. He uses that same language to adjust them and to instruct them Concerning the misuse of authority in Matthew 20, where he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, what's leadership in this world look like? The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, domineer, same word. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. 
And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did Jesus use his influence and power to serve? Christ served you. Christ served me. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he did it by giving his life as a ransom for us. Christ died not because we deserve it, but because he is gracious. The king of all glory, the king of all power, laid down his life so that we might experience forgiveness, so that we might experience all the riches of salvation. This cross is our hope. This cross is our joy. And this cross on which our Savior died totally transforms our understanding of power. Which leads to the third and final point, the redemption of power. Part of what Christ is doing in the world today through his church is transforming power. And the world, is, is, the world longs to see power rightly used. They may not realize it. They may not articulate it in quite that same way. But the church has an opportunity to be something glorious. And this is what Christ is doing in the world. He he is the one who came serving others. He is the one who came washing feet. He's the one who came as the good shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. And he calls us, each one of us, to use our God-given influence and power to serve others in humility and love. So that his church will be a radical counterculture in a world that misuses authority. In the church of Christ, we experience healing. I have seen God heal people from the, the wounds of abused authority. And Christian, whatever bad experiences you have had in the churches that you have belonged to, God wants you to know that you are more resilient than the world will tell you. You are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. God has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And there is healing in the gospel, and there is healing in the people of God. In the community that functions the way our Lord intended it to. A healthy church will be a place that knows how easily power can be misused and will intentionally keep in check the natural tendency to domineering leadership. This is why we as a pastoral team, you see all kinds of pastors who will preach behind this podium and who are on the stage at various points. We lead as a, as a team. We make decisions as a team. We value plurality. There are times in elders meetings, it's not infrequent, that I am on the losing side of a vote in an elders meeting, and I thank God for that, not always in the moment, not always rejoicing in the moment, but I thank God for it because I believe that is a sign of health in a team and in a church. 
as pastors, we seek to spread out the work. We seek to delegate responsibilities to others. It's why we have deacons. It's why we have ministry leaders and others doing such valuable work. We seek to empower others in their gifts and work to make others a success. This is also why we greatly value character in leadership. There may be some here who aspire to the office of pastor, elder, overseer. It is a wonderful thing. Or you may aspire to some form of spiritual leadership. The primary way that we influence and lead others is through example. That's what 1 Peter 5, 3 is all about. And so we must value character in pastoral leadership. Here's, here's what you should value in pastoral leadership. Not the ability to wow everyone, not a mover and shaker, not a dynamic public speaker, not brilliance and charisma, not a published author or a conference speaker, not an administrative powerhouse. We look for ordinary pastors who humbly serve and set an example. And I thank God that that describes the men that I serve with on this pastoral team. In particular, in particular, we, we seek to prioritize this category of character. Oh, humility. Oh, approachability is so important. Gentleness. Gentleness is so crucial in the work of spiritual leadership. It is required in 1 Timothy 3.3 3, that an elder excel in gentleness. 1 Timothy 3 lays out what to look for in a pastor and a leader. And it is required that he be gentle. 2 Timothy 2 verses 24 and 25 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You remember we saw earlier in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that even in the midst of this hostile world, that as we have opportunity to speak to those who oppose us and persecute us and resist us, the call of the Christian is not to respond with their hits with hits back. We are to give an answer for the reason for our hope, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Pastors and spiritual leaders are those who are setting an example in that regard. We also, as a church, want to understand the limitations of pastoral authority. Our spiritual authority that has been temporarily entrusted to us by God for the good of the flock that we are so privileged to serve, that spiritual authority is governed by the word of God. By, by what's here. It's controlled by this. It is restrained by this. It is influenced by this book. Sometimes people want pastors to tell people uh, where to send their kids to school or whether they should boycott a particular company or what articles of clothing they should wear or not wear or how to think about complex social issues, how to vote, how to invest their money, how to think about vaccines, and on and on and on. Faithful pastors will not lead with their opinions. They will lead with the authoritative word of God. And so, so this is some of the, the vision of what we seek to be, what I 
strive to be as a leader and what the entire pastoral team seeks to be, what we desire those in any position of leadership or influence in the church, those who lead in homes, this is the kind of vision of leadership that we desire. And as pastors, we need your prayer. I need your prayers. Pray for all of those in roles of authority. Pray for parents and husbands and bosses. Pray for me. I I need your prayers. Pray for all of the pastors that we would be faithful to God's call upon our lives for generations to come. That we would be gentle and not quarrelsome. That we would lead by example. That we would delegate ministry and empower others. That we would remain accountable that we would walk in humility, that we would lead with the word of God. We pray these things that God might protect our flock and this local church, the flock of God, that God might protect our church and that the gospel might continue to go forth through us, that we might be a kind of healthy, communicate. Uh, culture where the, the bonds of affection run deep between pastors and members of the church and we are all laboring together to the same glorious end. This is the kind of under-shepherd that we aspire to be, that we pray to be. And so we do pray to that end. And we pray these things, oh, I need to say this, We pray these things aware that there is only one shepherd whose leadership was never tainted by self-interest. There is only one shepherd who used power perfectly. There is only one shepherd who has given a perfect example. The Lord is our shepherd. He is our pastor. He is our overseer. He laid down his life for us. And we, as his blood-bought sheep, live for his glory. Live to the praise of his glorious grace, honoring this good shepherd in all that we do. Amen.